This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Maddie, a kidney stone walks into a bar. Bartender says, what do you have? And the kidney stone says, oh, nothing, thanks. I'm just passing through. What's with your bar jokes? I don't know. I'm, I drink too much. You know what we're talking about today? I thought it was glomerulus. We are. We're talking about glomerulus and glomerular filtration rate. But, you know, I think that urine over your head. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike's Medical Podcast. Today, we are discussing, as Maddie said, glomerulus and the glomerular filtration rate. Now, before we begin, we should probably recap a little bit about the uh, kidneys. Even though we've done a podcast on this, I think we might set the scene again, talk about the kidneys for a few minutes and the location of the glomerulus. Maddie, you want to set the scene? Of the glomerulus or the kidney? Kidney. And we'll move our way through. We'll start macroscopically and we'll start moving in microscopically and focus on the on the glomerulus. All right. So we've got two kidneys, okay, located in the deep abdomen. Their primary job is to filter our blood, maintain our electrolytes, maintain our body fluids and remove wastes. Perfect. Okay. It does this by filtering our arterial blood. Um, 20% of our blood goes to our kidneys, is that yep. right? 20% of our cardiac output, yeah, that's right. Okay, and the kidneys are made up of millions of nephrons. So each kidney would have between, let's say, 800,000 to 1.2 million per kidney, thereabouts. And all of those are little filtration units. Okay. And what they are doing is they're just getting a fraction of that blood flow that we spoke about and they are shooting fluid out of the blood through it trying to keep what's good and um, discard what's bad okay and so the best analogy I kind of was given or was instructed by my professor was that um, when we look at the way we filter blood it's kind of like if you were to clean out your garage at home okay so if you had your your garage or your carport at home and it was just full of junk, okay? Which it is. All right. So, if your wife or your partner said to you, you know, Mike, you really need to do something about your garage, it's out of control. You know, some people might think, well, I'll just slowly pick at it 
and choose what I want to get rid of and leave the rest. But probably a more efficient way is to take it all out, put it all outside, and then only put back what you really want to keep. Okay. And that's kind of what your kidneys will do. Oh, I like that. That's like good. That? Yeah, I do like that. You had a quite a wise professor. If only some of that wisdom passed on to you. That's right. It just went straight through me as well. It did. (laughs) You're like a glomerulus. glomerulus. (laughs) All right. So how we do it. All right. So the the blood comes out of the heart. Yep. Through the left ventricle. Yep. Out of the aorta. Yep. Big big artery. Yes. Okay. Kind of arches over, shoots some vessels up to your head and arms, and then arches and goes down your thorax. Would supply some some aspect to your thorax, but then go through your diaphragm. Uh, as it comes through your diaphragm, now it's your abdominal aorta. Here it then does uh, a number of anterior or front branches to your gut, but there's two primary lateral branches that go off to each side, which is going to your right and left kidney. Here, this is now termed your renal artery or renal arteries. Okay, Now, those renal arteries will then enter the doorway of your kidney, which is the hilum. Here they'll start to break off. Mm. And they have what co- what we call the segmental artri- arteries. And there's about five of those. Each segmental kind of go between the, the pyramids of the intrinsic part of your kidney, which is where all the... probably the, You'd probably say that the, um, the pyramids are made up of all those uh, collecting tubules or collecting ducts, the last bit of your nephrons. Yeah. Okay, which drops the, fl- the urine off. Okay. Okay. So it goes, segments, and then goes between those. And so th- I guess that they're called lobes of the kidney. So yep. we call that the interlobar arteries okay. as they're passing between the pyramids. So renal arteries turn to segmental arteries, which are now interlobar arteries. Interlobar arteries, that's okay. right. Now yep. they kind of break or branch up and arc around to the top of the pyramids or the base of the pyramids, mm. which is really a good demarcation point of what... The cortex, the cortex of the kidney, to the medulla of the kidney. Cool. Okay, and they're called the arcuate arteries. Okay? From there, the arcuate arteries give a branch or divide up into the the cortex proper, into the interlobar or interlobular? Interlobar or interlobular. Okay. So they go up there, the interlobulars go up there, and then they give their little branches off. Also known as cortical radial arteries. Okay, and they go now enter into the tuft or the glomerulus. Via after afferent arterioles. Yeah, so well the the entry point is the afferent the afferent, which means away. Afferent? Yeah. Afferent means towards. Efferent means away. Yes, that's right. Well done. <laughs> that was a trick. That was a trick. Uh, it was a good trick to play on me, Matt, but yeah. afferent, if you're thinking if there's an afferent signal or an afferent Artery, it's going towards some sort of control point. Yes, the effector, and then the efferent's moving away. So, we've got the afferent arteriole coming in, and this afferent arteriole. So, everyone needs to remember that arteries are big vessels, often have huge amounts of elastic tissue and very stretchy. Arterioles are smaller, but they've got less stretchiness to them, but they've got a lot of smooth muscle surrounding them. So you need to remember that for these afferent arterioles. There's a lot of smooth muscle surrounding them. And these afferent arterioles then turn into a capillary bed and a capillary network, and that's what we call the glomerulus, which just means ball of yarn. Mm. Because that's what it looks like. It looks like a ball of yarn. Now, this ball of yarn is encapsulated by the head of the nephron, and this head of this nephron all encompasses this glomerulus. The, the ball. The ball. And so it's at this glomerulus that the blood gets filtered into that, that capsule. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yep. And then on the other end of the glomerulus, we have an efferent arteriole, yep. which is telling you that usually when you have a capillary network, on the other end, often you'll have a venule. But in this case, we don't. We have another arteriole, and it's telling us that the gas exchange isn't actually occurring at this site. This is where we're just filtering the products of the blood. So it's too kind of powerful, too forceful to exactly. allow the gas exchange to occur. Yeah, that's it. So, all right. Now, should we talk about... Let's have a look at... Well, let's just... Be, we'll be focusing mostly on the glomerulus today. Yes. But let's just speak through very quickly the rest of the nephron. So 
the the vessel comes in the the e- the afferent comes in yep and it goes around this bundle of um, capillaries cool. and it will leave via the efferent. Now, in that capillary, it's held in to that ball in the Bowman's capsule, okay, which together... Which is the glomerulus capsule or yeah. the nephron capsule. And that is together the, the corpuscle and that's where the filtration will occur. So, that's where you're taking all the stuff out of the garage, okay? So, everything from your blood, besides the really, really big things doesn't come out but everything else small enough will come out and we'll talk about what gets through and doesn't yeah. get through shortly and so now essentially you got all that fluid coming out of your blood in the bowman space okay and then it travels along that snake like structure the nephron so we'll move through the proximal convoluted tubule down the loop of henley come back up the distal convoluted tubule and then go into the collecting duct as we saw in the pyramid. And then once it's in the distal aspect of the collecting duct, that's now urine, right? Yeah, not much else can be done. Okay. And so at a later po- podcast, we'll talk about the nephron and how it gets everything else back in or plays around with the contents of your garage. Yep. Okay. But today, we're purely focusing on the vessels coming into the glomerulus and all that kind of an anatomical or microanatomical structure of the glomerulus. Cool. Does that sound all right? Sounds good. And therefore, you know, how do we regulate blood flow into it to do its job? All right. So, should we get started with that? All right. So, where should we begin? All right. Well, let's begin at the heart. And you said, you spoke about all those arteries, so I don't need to talk about all the branches off the aorta. Let's just talk about the quantity of blood that's coming from the heart going to the kidneys. Mm-hmm. So, every minute, your so, heart... So, will this be the renal arteries? These will be those renal arteries. So every minute, first of all, your heart will pump out five liters of blood. That's the first thing. Now, of this five liters of blood, that needs to be designated to different parts of the body. So certain percentages are going off to the brain, to the liver, and so forth. 20% of that blood is going to the kidneys, which is about one liter. So one liter of blood is going through those renal arteries, heading towards the kidneys. Mm -hmm. Now, of this one liter, around about 400 mils of that is cells and cellular components and so forth, and 600 mils is plasma. So that would be red blood cells, white cells, platelets. Exactly. And we are just wanting to filter the plasma. So the 600 mils is what we're looking at. So out of that liter, 600 mils or 60% of it is that salty, sugary water that we want to into the filtrate yep and so it's coming in coming into the uh, glomerulus and then here at the glomerulus that's 600 mils 20% and of it collectively that's not each one no that's that's, that's both kidneys put together both two kidneys nephrons put together. all nephrons yeah. everything put together okay. there's 600 mils per minute coming to those nephrons mm. and of that 600 mils 20% gets filtered through into the nephron oh. so it goes from the afferent arterial into the glomerulus the pressure pushes it through, yep. and of that 600 mils, 20% comes into the nephrons, and that's 120 mils per minute. So every minute, your nephrons are containing 120 mils of what we call filtrate or ultrafiltrate. Okay, so your, let's say, 2 million nephrons every minute would have 120 mils? 120 mils. Of fluid in it. Correct. Okay. Now... Every minute. Every minute. Now, something which we'll talk about in a future podcast, which is very important, is that that 120 mils per minute, mm. if you were to add it up to a whole day, mm. that ends up being 180 litres, 170 to 180 litres a day of filtrate. of filtrate being made. Now, we know, I know, that we don't pee out 180 litres right. of urine a day. Yeah, hope not. Right? Otherwise, you right now would be peeing, and that would make me very uncomfortable. Who's saying that? Well... Uh, you could be wearing that adult diaper that you were telling me about before the episode. But we don't pee out 180 litres. We pee out only 1% of that, which is about 1.8 litres. So something's happening mm. from the glomerulus to the collecting ducts. Something's happening between that point. So all those tubules that you were talking about before, something's happening, which is 99% of it's getting reabsorbed back in the body. Right. But let's not focus Keep on that. all the stuff back in the garage. That's it. Mm. But let's focus on the glomerulus at the moment. Okay. Okay? Now... Let's talk about... So, the purpose of maintaining this rate or this amount of filtration is important for the body, right? Okay, yes. Because we said at the start that we need to be filtering blood to maintain your electrolytes, to maintain your fluid balance, but also to get rid of your wastes. Perfect. I didn't realize you were so smart. Thank you. Uh, So, you need to somehow regulate the flow into that glomerulus 
which is called glomerular filtration rate. Which sounds like you'd call it GFR. GFR, glomerular filtration rate, which is, funnily enough, 120 mils per minute. That's the glomerular filtration rate. Now, we need to, we must maintain 120 mils per minute. The kidneys need this because this is the appropriate filtration rate to, like you said, get rid of the wastes, balance out the electrolytes, balance out the water. To maintain homeostasis, we need to filter 120 mils per minute. Okay, so if you had it too high, it could damage the glomerulus let's say yep or all the little micro vessels there what do you think would happen if it's too low or if it's too low then you just wouldn't get the flow you would have build up of crap in the blood right a build up of waste metabolic wastes build up of electrolytes and so forth right. and so we don't we don't want that so we know this perfect happy homeostatic range that we need to be with goldilocks the goldilocks zone which is about 120 mils a minute okay all right and so there's different ways of controlling that which we'll talk well, be, about shortly before we get to controlling how about you just quickly tell me about what are the forces that maintain that okay that filtration right yeah, yeah. all right so as the blood's coming in that afferent arterial that yeah. 600 odd mils there is going to be a pressure behind it now yeah. that pressure is blood pressure but we refer to it as hydrostatic pressure. And hydrostatic means? Basically water push, right? Okay, yep. Or water movement. Water stopping or something? Water stopping, something like that. Pressure, well, of, water, yeah, yeah. pressure of water, something like that. But it's, it's basically blood pressure. Okay. So there's going to be a pressure behind it pushing through, which is called the hydrostatic pressure. Now, when it's in the glomerulus, this hydrostatic pressure is called glomerular hydrostatic pressure. Okay. And it is around about 60 Millimeters of mercury. All right. So just to put it in context, your blood pressure coming out of your heart is ballpark 120. Yeah. So you're talking it's about half here. It's about 60. half here. So this is basically the hydrostatic pressure at the capillaries mm. in the kidneys, which okay. is important because if you compare the hydrostatic pressure at, within capillaries Somewhere at else. other tissues in the body, it's going to be like half of that. Yeah. So th that's telling you that at the glomerulus, the pressure is very high. Yeah. It's a high-pressure system. Mm. So this is a unique system in the body. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's purely because we want to do something unique here, which is to filter the blood. Yeah, which we don't really do anywhere else. Because if you have a high pressure like this elsewhere, mm. the same thing's going to happen, right? You, you push gonna, everything you're gonna push, out. You're going to push fluid out into your tissues, which is edema. That's right. Okay, so you could do that in your lungs, because in your lung tissue... The filtration or the hydrostatic forces, is, let's say around 15, mm. really low. Really low. So you don't want fluid to come out there. Because if you do, you're going to get pulmonary edema, which is fluid yeah. in the lungs. Bad. Or if you, let's say, you do it down in your legs, mm. which you said the pressure should be at 30, yeah. 35. If you bump that up to 60, oh, yeah. then you get fluid in your legs, yeah. which is edema. That's right. So doesn't work there but body, here it's great body's pretty smart yeah. i mean yeah you don't want it happening at the lungs so the pressure's reduced you want it happening at the kidney so the pressure's increased but that's not the only pressure involved in this system okay. so you're gonna have the hydrostatic pressure going from the glomerulus towards the capsule and we said that 60 millimeters of mercury mm -hmm. but you've also got hydrostatic pressure going in the opposite direction so from the capsule into the glomerulus now obviously this pressure isn't going to be as great as the hydrostatic pressure from the glomerulus because that's got the blood pressure behind it. Okay. But the, the hydrostatic pressure from the capsule towards the glomerulus, that's around about 18 millimetres of mercury worth of pressure. Okay, so that's basically because you've already got filtrate in that cup. Or yeah. That, that capsule. That's right. So you've already got a bit of filtrate in there mm. and that's pushing against the pressure that's trying to get out of the blood vessels. Yeah, so basically that's... So the, the filtrate that's already in the tubules are snaking their way through the nephron yeah. and obviously it's, there's going to be some resistance there and that resistance is going to be a bit of a backflow right. which is the hydrostatic pressure in the reverse direction from the capsule okay. to the glomerulus. Well, it's, it's almost half what the hydrostatic forces is. So that means that the, um, the pressure is still going in that one direction. Uh, yeah, so you got 60 millimetres of mercury from the... Sorry, not half. Yeah, I was going to say. So you got Yeah, so you got 60 millimetres of mercury going from the glomerulus to the capsule, 18 from the capsule yeah. to the glomerulus. So they're opposing forces. They're opposing forces. So what if you were to de deduct that force? Where's the net push going towards? Is it going from the glomerulus to the, capil uh, to the capsule or from the capsule to the glomerulus? If you deduct 18 from 60... 
Yeah, the glomerulus to the capsule. That's it. You've got 42 millimetres, of, so 40 millimetres of mercury net. Yeah, pressure. But there's other pressures involved as well, Matty. Okay. So osmotic pressure, which is pulling pressure. Okay. So when you've got a lot of dissolved substances in a fluid, it's going to pull water in that direction. Kind right? of like the salt shaker does when it's very humid outside. It becomes all clogged up because all water gets... You're all up. analogies today. I like this. You should teach some of my classes. Actually, no, the poor students would get bored. So, this osmotic pressure is a pulling pressure. Now... So, that's sucking the fluid back into the glomerulus, back into the vessels. If you look at the osmotic pressure at the glomerulus, then yes. Now, what's doing all this pulling, Matty? Like a tug of war. Like a tug of war. Who, what's doing the pulling? Well, presumably, be all the stuff that's left in the blood that didn't come out. That's right. Which are going to be cells and proteins. So red blood cells. Yep. White, white blood, blood cells. cells platelets. Platelets. And, and a huge amount of proteins such as albumin. So albumin's a big player, right? Oh, yeah. Now, this, now the, the important thing about these proteins, which we will get to shortly, but the important thing about these proteins, why they exhibit such a strong pulling force, one point is that proteins are very electronegative. So they've got a strong negative charge. And water loves these polar substances. So water loves going in the direction of things that have charges. And so you've got all these negatively charged proteins, it's yeah. going to pull water towards it. Okay. So in the glomerulus, we have a pulling force of water. And what's that force? That force is about 30 millimeters of mercury. All right. So let me get this straight. You've got a pushing force in the vessels, the glomerulus, of 60. From the glomerulus yeah. to the capsule. You've got a pushing force from the Bowman's capsule back, trying to go back into the glomerulus at 18. Correct. And you've got a sucking force of 30 millimetres of mercury, which is trying to keep fluid in the vessels or the glomerulus. Yeah. So if you do 30 plus 18, that's yep. 48. Yep, so about 50. And the, the one that's trying to push out, the hydrostatic, is 60. Yep. So you've got about 10 to 12 net pressure. Is that right? Going from the glomerulus to the capsule, that's right. So, But wait, people may be asking what about the osmotic pressure in the capsule? Is there any osmotic pressure in the capsule pulling water from the glomerulus to the capsule? Remember, the thing that does all this pulling are the dissolved substances like proteins mm. and cells and so forth. We know that there shouldn't be any filtered proteins or cells in the capsule. So that osmotic pressure is zero. Even for people like you who are proteinivores? Proteinivores... I'm just uh, flexing in the mirror here in my office. Um, Michael, if you don't know, Michael just uh, solely consumes protein. That's all he has all day. In powdered form. <laughs> Without fluid. So he does. That's <laughs> why he's blocked up. Yeah. Let's, let's not divulge too much information. We can, we can do the gastrointestinal system later. <laughs> we already have. We did it the other week. That's right. <laughs> okay. So overall... The whole point of that part was that we've got a net pushing force from the glomerulus to the capsule that's of 10 millimetres mercury. And so it's not a great deal. It's not it? a great deal, but so all you need is to be winning in the tug of war and that, that's it. <laughs> so that's telling you really, you got, let's say with a tug of war analogy, you've got 10 extra men pulling in one direction. Yeah. But if, if you lose those men... Yeah you're going to lose that filtration rate pretty quickly. So if you get hypervolemia or you yeah. lose blood volume yeah. and lose blood pressure, you won't Hypo, get... Hypo, did you say? Hypo. Yeah. You won't get that GFR. You'll lose that 10 to maybe down to zero. That's so a good... Nothing's happening now. Mate, that's a good point. So the things that... So, so, so you just... Wait, 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 wait. No, no, no. This was my <laughs> leading point. Yeah, go on. Therefore, we have to somehow have feedback loops or mechanisms to maintain that GFR. Yes. Otherwise, you're going to build fluid up in your body, electrolytes build up, yep. and your waste products build up. Yeah. Is that now, fair? That's fair. But before we move on oh. to that control, that's why I interrupted you, I think it's important to say to the listeners, just like you said, we've got those opposing pressures. That, you, that we just spoke about. And you said, obviously, we've got the majority of a pushing pressure from the glomerulus to the capsule. Yep. And you said, that's a lot of that is coming from the hydrostatic pressure. Mm. And you said, if that hydrostatic pressure drops, such as if you're hypovolemic, so your blood volume, therefore blood pressure drops, mm. then that's going to drop. And that's true. But I think we should talk about, just very briefly, the fact that you can also alter the pressure in the capsule, the opposing hydrostatic pressure in the capsule. 
Can you? You can increase that hydrostatic pressure in the capsule, which again is going to reduce that filtration rate. So, for example, if you had blockages... In your nephron. In, yes. If you had blockages downstream from your nephron, so in any of the tubes that are coming out and away from your kidneys, that can actually increase the pressure going... Oh, is this where the stone walks into the bar? That's where the stone walks into the bar. Oh, no, so y- you can have these obstructions in your ureters and your bladder and so forth, and this can increase the so backwards pressure. stone that plugs your ureter, yeah. therefore urine will go back, yep. back, back into the kidney, yep. back into the pelvis, back into the calyces, mm-hmm. back up into the, the tubules, yep. and then... Increase back up into the glomerular, or sorry, the Bowman's capsule or Bowman's space, yep. and increase that pushing back pressure. Yeah, the hydrostatic pressure. Oh, wow. And that can reduce glomerular filtration. So I just thought, since you spoke about hydrostatic pressure from one direction, might as well talk about it from the other. What else would do that besides stones? What now else could. Put, in, now I'm putting them on the spot. What else could in, uh, increase the capsule hydrostatic pressure? From back, back from, up. From the capsule to the glomerulus? <laughs> I hope everyone's following us. What, Matty? No, I, that was my question to you. And the, I'm throwing it back because I think that... Uh, the I, think happens, I think it could happen in males over 50, possibly. Go on. Tell me about prostate. Prostate, yeah. Okay. So T- tell me about prostate. prostate. They can't void. Yeah. They can't empty their bladder well. So it's backing up. Yeah. So that prostate's sort of squeezing around some of those tubes. Yeah, the exit point. Yeah. Urethra. That's a urethra. This, not the urethra in this case. Okay. Bladder issues. Yeah. Yeah. Cancers. Yeah, tumours. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Anyway, a bit off topic. Let's okay. Uh, so, how do we do the GFR then? So, how do we control it, you mean? How do you maintain it? How do you maintain the glomerular... Because remember, we only had the 10, 10 pressure to... Steam of pressure to force yeah. the fluid out. Yeah. So, if you lose that 10... Yeah. And we've got now zero, we're not going to get any filtration. True. That and therefore, that's kidney's not doing its job. And so, so you, how do we maintain it? And your kidneys don't want to be reliant upon the the systemic blood pressure either. It wants to be quite independent. If your blood pressure drops, it wants to continue that 120 mils per minute. Mm. So it needs its own mechanism of con- of controlling blood pressure, okay. which it does. And we spoke about that in the last episode, the renin angiotensile episode. So what are they first? Tell me. Okay, the mechanisms that control glomerular filtration rate. Yeah. So you've got uh, an auto-regulation mechanism so the kidne- kidneys can control do can do it itself what smart things they are well, they're very smart there is an endocrine role which we kind of did in the RAS system yeah so that's part of it it's the use of hormones of so hormones being released which can, can control glomerular filtration rate and then uh, the nervous system can also do it okay right so the sympathetic nervous system can play a role here so the sympathetic nervous system can wrap itself around the afferent and modify the diameter of that afferent so should we talk about, should we look at afferent, efferent arterioles, constriction, dilation, and the roles that it plays in glomerular filtration? Yeah, all right. So we've got the afferent coming in. Yeah. We wrap around that big ball of wool, which is... Well, it turns into the big ball of wool. It doesn't yeah. wrap around it. Okay. And then it leaves via the efferent. Yeah. Okay. So the afferent, um, on it's a... a an artery, like you described. Or an arteriole. An arteriole. As it's coming in to the, the Bowman's capsule, which is that kind of balloon-like structure that's holding that glomerulus in place. I like to call it Pac-Man. Looks like Pac-Man to me. All right. Or that, the, the mouth of the snake. Yeah. Okay. I think the, the listeners are going to get confused with all these different <laughs> things. Um, in, all around that blood vessel, that afferent blood vessel wall, is a group of cells... Okay, that can maintain the diameter of it. So you can have what we call um, like muscle myogenic-like cells. Okay, so they in themselves can maintain the diameter of the afferent and that's therefore the blood flow into the glomerulus. Okay, so if the blood vessel's way too high... It will if be the blood vessel's way too high? The blood pressure, I said, if you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> if it was way too high... It would be pushing against those cells and stretching them, okay? And just because they're muscle cells, they have like calcium channels all over them, okay? And if you stretch the calcium channels, you cause more calcium to go in, 
therefore you get a, a reflex response, which is contraction. Because wherever calcium, if calcium jumps into muscle, muscle contracts. Yeah, and so what happens is those myogenic-like cells around the blood vessel in the afferent will start to constrict up and narrow it off when there's a high force. So this is like a reflexive response. Reflexive. Yep. Okay. And therefore, so you have that kind of ability to maintain the diameter of the afferent vessel depending on the situation. In this case, it was too high of a force. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you might want to narrow it off. Mm-hmm. Now, the sympathetic, sy- sympathetic nervous system, so when you're having that fight and flight, so when you're running away from um, that bear, okay, in your neighborhood. So in Australia, it's obviously a koala bear. Yeah, run away from them a lot. <laughs> you will uh, have a sympathetic drive, which will also go to those blood vessels and cause it to constrict as well because you don't really want to be filtering at that point. You want to maintain it somewhere else. Yeah. Okay. Now, I think before we go on any further, we should just talk about some basics when it comes to that filtration from the afferent to the glomerulus to the afferent. And just so people have in their mind a nice image of what's going on. So when this blood comes in the afferent Mm. and gets to the glomerulus, it wants to push through and filter. And whatever doesn't continues through to the afferent. So people need to keep in their mind's eye that the afferent arteriole has smooth muscle around it. The efferent arteriole has smooth muscle around it and you can constrict and dilate the afferent and you can constrict and dilate the efferent. And they need to be able to picture in their mind what would happen if you dilated or constricted either one. So So just to continue on with what you said, if you constrict the afferent, you're reducing blood flow coming into the glomerulus, mm. therefore reducing filtration. Yep. If you dilate the afferent, you increase the blood flow coming in, therefore increasing filtration. Yep. If you now focus on the efferent, so the, exiting. the exiting one, if you constrict that efferent arteriole, the exiting vessel, then blood will pull behind it, which is in the glomerulus, yep. increasing pressure, increasing filtration if you dilate the efferent the blood will basically just move straight past the glomerulus and reduce the glomerular filtration rate Mm. so i think that's an important point that people should keep in their heads because now when we talk about what's constricting and dilating either afferent or efferent they know what the effect would be yep so you said that if we focus on the afferent that the the one coming in that the sympathetic nervous system can constrict it yep okay that's the first thing some other things that can constrict it well, is... It's, got its own intrinsic stretch. Its own intrinsic reflexive stretch yep. and then calcium coming in and constricting. Yep. You c- it can also be constricted by adenosine. Yeah, and so that, if we go back quickly to the, the talk that we did, the podcast on the RAS system. Yeah. If we remember, um, we've got, just to make it a bit more complicated. Yeah. Um, we've got the distal convoluted tubule, which is part of that nephron, coming back up in really close proximity to the glomerulus. Okay, and there's a group of cells between the glomerulus and that distal convoluted tubule that uh, is called the juxtaglomerular apparatus. Yeah. And around the distal convoluted tubule, so still in that tubule, it's like the tail of the snake coming yeah, back coming to back its up. mouth, right? Yeah. It's got a group of cells called the macula densa. Okay. Now, where are they again? They're in the wall of the distal convoluted tubule. Okay. Okay. And they pick up the, what's the filtrate composition like in that tubule. So, it's done a lot of the movement through now. Mm. So, it's gone through the proximal, it's gone through the loop, ascending loop, and then it's come around into the distal. Yeah. So, a lot of the stuff should be reabsorbed. Yeah. Okay. Uh, actually, around about 80% of, yeah. of all the salts and so forth should, should have been reabsorbed by now. So, depending on what the constitution is like, it would depend on what the macular denser cells do. So, and that, okay. And if, and if they feel like yeah. um, the salt and chloride level is too high, okay, too high, they're assuming the flow is going to be too quick. Yes. Not allow enough reabsorption. Yes, very true. And so, they release adenosine. Yeah. And that then kind of flutters across to the afferent and causes a constriction Cool. to slow the, the GFR down. That's awesome. That's perfect because if the glomerular filtration is too low, then the, f- the filtrate that's just coming through the nephron, it's going to be moving through slowly, more slowly, 
and more of that salts and waters will be reabsorbed, which means by the time it gets to that distal, the composition will be lower now, right? And that means that that then stimulates the macular denser cells again to stimulate the release of renin, which you spoke about in the last episode. Yep. And renin results in increasing blood pressure. To so please, please listen to the Raz podcast. Yeah, you got to listen to that one. All right. So that's the uh, some of the constrictors. That's fr- some of the afferent constrictors. That's right. What about afferent dilators? I think this is important. What is a very important chemical, a ubiquitous chemical, so found everywhere in the body, that dilates the afferent arteriole? Tell me. Prostaglandins. Ooh. They do a lot of stuff in our body, prostaglandins. Prostaglandins help create the nice mucus barrier in our stomach to protect our stomach from acid breaking down our stomach. Prostaglandins also stimulate pain receptors. They st- oh, they do a lot of stuff. For what, like inflammation? Inflammation, play a role in inflammation, but they also dilate the afferent arteriole. Right. Now, no, sorry. Oh, I was just going to add a, another degree of complexity to it. Do it. Uh, I'm ready. <laughs> Around that ball of wool, which are all those blood vessels. Let's just say glomerulus. <laughs> yeah, I think we've already established the analogy and everyone knows what the glomerulus is. There's a whole lot of little cells between the blood, the blood vessels. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, my glomerulus is playing up. <laughs> um, you've got cells that are all kind of intertwined around the glomerulus. Yeah. And they're called mesangial cells. Okay. Meso means um, in the middle of. Yeah. Angial blood vessels or okay. arteries. So mesangial cells between the blood vessels. Cool. And now they kind of have two roles. They have some phagocytic roles, and and like. Michael's nickname is a phagocyte because he eats all day. That's for sure. Um, Only protein powder, though, remember. <laughs> and it also has contractile functions. So what it can do, it'll be very difficult to illustrate this, but the contractile elements of this can kind of expand or constrict or uh, restrict the bl- the, con- the glomerulus, the, the blood... The, glu- 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 the glomerulus. Yeah. Okay, so by... Expanding it, it's going to change the flow. Yeah. By constricting it or bunching the the ball of wool down, it's going to change the blood flow. Makes sense. And so, my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, Michael. I will. But the Believe pros- me. prostaglandins have a function in those mesangial cells. They do. And so, the prostaglandins intrinsically can affect the either expansion or the constriction. Of to the relax it. Basically, to relax it to let more blood come in. Okay. So... This is important because important. we take every day, especially you, every day we take... I think we all take every day, Michael. <laughs> There's a very common, me- one of the most common medications people take called NSAIDs, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. Yeah, I, and I can... Can you name some NSAIDs for me, Matthew? Uh, ooh. Aspirin. Your As- turn. Aspirin. Let's play the game. Aspirin, go. Um, Celecoxib, go. Your turn. What's Celecoxib? Like Celebrex. Okay. Yeah. Um, so Ibuprofen. Your turn. So non-sterile anti, non-steroid <laughs> anti-inflammatory. So they're not, they're not a steroid. Yeah. But they're also an anti-inflammatory. I think that was obvious. I thought um, <laughs> paracetamol. That's a tough one, isn't it? No. It's kind of halfway in and halfway out. Yeah. There's evidence that states paracetamol is like a COX three inhibitor, so it is a, a a COX inhibitor. I prefer not to say it's an NSAID, but I guess. Anyway. Oh, do you know how many times I've been corrected by when? Because I, I clump it into the NSAIDs. I probably shouldn't, but I do because there's there's evidence out there that states it. So NSAIDs, by definition, they block uh, the COX enzyme, cyclooxygenase enzyme. Mm. Now, and they which create prostaglandins. So if you block one, in one path of it, yeah, yeah. So like I said, there's so many prostaglandins. So there's so many different types of prostaglandins, mm. which are basically through different COX pathways. Yep. COX-1, COX-2, COX-3, and so forth. And, okay. and so if you block COX enzymes, you block prostaglandins being produced. Production. Production which could be good types. for, in the, in the case of stopping pain or inflammation. Yeah. Works great there, right? Absolutely. So one of the best, well, potentially one of the best drugs for, you know, acute pain, inflammation. To, to reduce the prostaglandins and other mediators to cause pain. But we're talking about prostaglandins in the kidney here. Yes. So if you take um, NSAIDs, like certain maybe aspirin or... Ibuprofen. Things like that. Yeah. Over long periods of time. Is it Tylenol can, for the American listeners? Okay. Yep. Yeah. 
Um, excellent. Is it got a different name? Is it still ibuprofen? But the, yeah, the brand but name is Tylenol. Yeah, yeah. It's like Hoover and Kleenex. Hoover for vacuums. Oh right, okay. I thought you meant the president. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, the mesangial cells, which are incumbent with the prostaglandins, yeah. If you're blocking that now through the drugs, you lose that ability to dilate or affect the expansion constriction of the glomerulus, which then could cause other problems within the intrinsic nature. Of the well, gene. that's a very broad stroke to state. Basically, prostaglandins dilate the afferent arteriole and those mesangial cells, which means when you have prostaglandins, they're dilated, more blood yeah. coming in. If you abuse NSAIDs, no prostaglandins, you basically get a reflexive constriction and you have a reduced blood flow coming in and you have reduced glomerular filtration. That's the simplistic way to look at okay. it. Obviously, it's more complex than that, but I think that's, that's the way that we should look at it. Great. All right, so let's... Efferent. Let's talk about the efferent for one second, then you can talk about the filtration membrane. What do you reckon? All right, you go wild with the efferent then. Okay, I'll go wild because you know it's one thing that plays around with the efferent arteriole. The efferent arteriole, think about it, like I said, if you dilate it... So this is the exit. So this is like if you got a... uh, a Yeah, people know what an exit is. (laughs) (laughs) We'll have to use another analogy for this one. (laughs) So if you've got like a uh, stadium... Yeah. And you've got lots of doors opening to the stadium. Yeah. There's a lot of more people coming in. So, so entry doors. That's right. Not exit doors. <laughs> but if you reduce the amount of exit points, yeah. people will build up in that stadium. Correct. Which is like the glomerulus. Okay, perfect. You like that, don't you? Yeah, I do. So are you talking about how you constrict it or dilate it? Oh, both. Let's talk about All constriction because right. so that's probably the most dictates important. dictates the amount of people leaving? All right. So like you said, if you constrict the efferent... It's going to back up and you're going to increase glomerular filtration rate. So there's a very important chemical here that constricts the efferent arteriole that you need to remember. Sounds really important. It's angiotensin 2, AT2. Now remember the RAS system we spoke about last week. There's a podcast on it. In the podcast. Angiotensin 2 was, you know, the renin, angiotensin, aldosterone system. Angiotensin is produced ultimately from renin which cleaves angiotensinogen into angiotensin. ACE, angiotensin-converting enzyme, turns angiotensin... <laughs> to angiotensin-converting enzyme. Converts angiotensin 1 into angiotensin 2. And one of the functions of angiotensin 2 is efferent vasoconstriction of the efferent arteriole, which b- uh, increases glomerular filtration, basically. Excellent. So that, again, means that patients who are taking certain antihypertensive medications such as angiotensin 2 antagonists... That will result in efferent arterial sartans, efferent arterial vasodilation, which means the blood going to the glomerulus. Well, it's just going to keep moving past, and glomerular filtration will drop, and you can potentially get acute kidney injury because you got reduced renal perfusion from angiotensin two antagonists. Bada bing, bada boom. Thanks for that, Michael. Should we talk about the filtration membrane? Yes, this is vital. This is your turn. This is... How many filtration membranes... This is fascinating, actually. It's so fascinating. <laughs> it's so fascinating, I'll let you do it. The So... How many filtration membranes are there that, this, that the blood needs to get through to become filtrate? Three. Three major ones. Three. There are some sub-membranes. Three. There's three. There's three, Michael. Yeah, but there's a couple in the basement membrane. All right. Number one, first, first so firstly, membrane. Just make sure everyone knows what we're talking about. So yeah. this is in the glomerulus, okay, to get from the blood into the Bowman space or where the filtrate wants to be. You've kind of got to go through three layers. Of filtration. Of um, colanders. Let's say like kind of walls. Yeah, okay. like colanders. Yes, yes. Yeah, and these colanders, for people to be aware, aren't just of different size holes. So it doesn't just filter things through according to size. It also filters things through according to charge. Charge. So size and charge are the major determinants of what gets through these three filter membranes. Which is going to be also called the filtration barrier. Okay. okay. Let's start at the, the first one, the one closest Close to, to the, the blood, blood vessel. Okay. First, Go. The first thing I will say, and Michael will probably correct me here, yeah. the first thing I will say, as far as I'm aware, all three have a negative charge related to it. Well, at, at least the first two are very three, strongly negatively as far charged. As aware, will have a negative charge associated with it. Yeah, them. they do. They do. Okay. 
uh, one has layer a v- one, yeah, okay. layer one, which is the layer of the blood vessel, which yeah. is typically called the endothelium. Which is just epithelial cells or blood vessels. Yeah. So the endothelium, okay, it has pores in it, like little little miniature holes. What do we call these holes? That are approximately seventy to to a hundred nanometers in uh, size. These holes are called fenestrations. Fenestrations. Okay. So they're also called fenestrated endothelium. Okay, so um, these fenestrated holes, 70 to 100 nanometers in size. Um, can we kind of get some... Oh, okay, all right. So, all right, everyone. Everyone knows, <laughs> what a, everyone knows what a millimeter is, I think. Everyone can picture a millimeter if you can't get a ruler and have a look at it. What about America? Oh, yeah, well, everyone's got... Okay, take your ruler... Look at a ruler. It'll yeah, have everyone inches. Just a ruler. E- everyone should ignore the inches because everyone outside of the states uses metric. And have a look at a millimeter. Pretty small. Divide that millimeter into a thousand equal pieces. So what we have now are so if you divide a millimeter into a thousand equal pieces, take one of those pieces, and that's what we call a micrometer. Not a nanometer. Not yet. Oh. That's a micrometer. micrometer. So also known as a micron. Micron. Then take that micron or that micrometer and divide that into a thousand equal pieces, which is starting to get difficult I for your mind to be able to do. Eye. Take one of those one thousand equal pieces and that's a nanometer. Take between seventy to a hundred of those and that is the diameter of oh, the of the fenestrated endothelium of the blood vessels at the glomerulus. Wow. Tiny. Small stuff. Now, that again, that's small, but people don't know the you know how small relative that is relative else. to other things. So, a red blood a red blood cell that's coming through, Matt. How big would that be? So these are almost the biggest things you'll find in your blood normally, right? Red blood cells. Yeah, almost. Well, they're actually they're, they're most abundant cell. The most abundant. They're actually pretty small for okay. cells. Um, they're about seven to ten microns. That's right, which makes them nearly a thousand times too big to get through the endothelial. Fenestrations. Would that make make them seventy thousand nanometers? Uh, it, okay, let's say they're ten micrometers. Yeah. yeah. Right. That makes them ten thousand nanometers in yeah. size, so and we know these holes are seventy to a hundred nanometers. So, so yeah, they're definitely bigger. Yeah. That's now, right. white blood cells are even bigger still. Ten times bigger than a red blood cell, yeah. yep. which makes it. And platelets are hundred micrometers, which is important for clotting. They're about one micron. Is that right? Yeah, about two-ish. I I say one to two. And anything else? Just know that if uh, most of your cells or all of your cells are going to be in the micrometer range, yeah. which is still too big to get through the seventy to hundred nanometers hole of the endothelium. Okay. But some proteins are smaller than seventy to hundred nanometers. So the most abundant protein in your blood. Yeah. Is what? Albumin. Albumin. That's right. Okay. Yeah. And what size is that? I think it's around about seven nanometers. Seven nanometers. Yeah. So the fenestrated holes in the blood vessels were 70 to 100. Yeah. So they can fit through that. Albumin can get, get through. That's right. Okay. So that's layer one. Yeah. That's the endothelium. The next You did la- a jo- good job of that layer, Matt. Thanks. The next layer down is the glomerular basement membrane. Yeah. The basement. So like the... Below the bottom of your house, right? Mm-hmm. That we don't really have basements so much in Australia. No, much especially more, not in Queensland. Much more common in America. Yeah. So the basement, the glomerular basement membrane, okay, also it's made up, you know, similar to the endothelium. It's got a lot of glycoprotein in there, which gives it its negative charge. Yeah. Okay. But it's filled with extracellular matrix as well. So yeah. So all these um, types of um, connective tissue, I guess you could say. Yeah. That is outside the cell. Okay. Now, predominantly, and this is the way I remember it, predominantly it has a collagen in it. Yeah. Which is a, a very important type of protein that kind of keeps cells strong or keeps the tissue strong. It's well, I always think of connective tissue as being made up of gels and fibers. Mm-hmm. And there's different fiber types. There's elastic fibers, reticular fibers, and collagen fibers. And the collagens are like the bit... if to continue on your analogies, they're like big steel rods. They're like the strongest sort of fiber to embed in. Okay. And so you've got these collagen fibers, sorry, within a, a gel-like structure. Hmm. So just to point out here, the type of collagen in the basement membrane is what we call type 4. Oh. And that the way I remember that is type 4 
likes to be in the floor. So basement membrane. Yeah. So will always be underneath epithelial linings because you always have a basement membrane underneath an epithelium. Okay, so type four. Type four? Under the floor. Under the floor. Because it's the basement membrane. That's so and good. the basement's under the floor. Anyway. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> so that's, that's the second layer. And how wide are the holes there, Michael? No, no idea. I think, yeah, I actually, I'm not sure either, but I think they're slightly smaller than the 100. Well, the thing is, because it's gels and fibers, things will need to diffuse their way through. I don't think there's defined fenestrations like there is in the endothelium. It's more so a gel that things need to push their way through, okay. and this gel, so it doesn't have holes per se, but this, this gel obviously allows things like to pass through, but it's very, very electronegative. Yeah. Now, what does that mean for proteins, Matt? What are proteins? Are they electronegative, electropositive, or neutral? I think most of them will be negative, wouldn't they? They've, yeah, they're electronegative. So that means that the collagen layer, this basement membrane, is going to negatively repel the negative proteins because okay. we know how magnets work. Positive likes negative, but negative hates negative. Right. So the collagen layer is the main layer. It's This is important for everyone. This collagen layer or basement membrane is the major layer that repels proteins. Main layer. That repels proteins. Okay. So that's number two. Number three is what we call the podocytes. What's podocyte mean? What's a site? Site is a cell. cell. It's a pod. <laughs> Good one. I want to throw that to you. It's like a foot. It's like an extension. Oh, it's like, like a dietary. Like, yeah, exactly. There we go. So a podocyte is a foot cell because it looks like it's got all these foot-like extensions. Right. Um, and so they kind of cling on to the basement membrane. Like in Star Trek. Klingon. Yeah, okay. Yeah? And so if you mm. kind of, if all the listeners at home kind of inter- interweave their f- fingertips together. Yeah. So kind of interdigitate your fingers in, in t- amongst each other. Interdigitate. So That's your good. fingers are digits. Yeah, no, I, I think everyone got that. <laughs> yeah, so everyone so knows what you're talking about. you put them into each other. Yeah, you said that. You've got little <laughs> slits there. Yeah. That's like the fenestrated slits. Of the podocytes. Of the podocytes. What's the spaces between there? What's the size? Oh, the size of it? Yeah. So, obviously in your hands, they're quite large, but (laughs) down in your glomerulus, it's only... (laughs) Glomerulus. um, It's about 25-ish nanometers. About 10 to 30 nanometers. Okay. And so, this (laughs) is still big enough in size Mm. to let those albumin through. Yep. Because remember albumin, what did you say it was? About uh, seven-ish. Yeah, so seven. Yeah, about seven. Yeah, so this is 20-ish to, or ten, let, let's say you, 10 yeah. to 30. Yeah. So still can get through here. That's right. But what, so what is the main, what is the main force? This is also negative, Michael. These podocytes uh, okay. are like your attitude to life, really <laughs> negative. <laughs> so all three layers are negative. And this is what repels proteins. Yep. And then the size of the holes in the fenestrations and the spaces between the podocytes mm. are what repel things by size. Yep. Or filter things so according to size. Putting all those three layers together, you've got the filtration barrier. Awesome. That should keep out all the big stuff by yep. purely by size. So you shouldn't have red blood cells in your blood. Yeah. You shouldn't have white blood cells in your blood. You shouldn't have platelets in your blood. Purely by size. Now, in terms of by charge, because all three layers are negatively charged, you sh- shouldn't have proteins in your urine either. Now, that, did I say blood before or urine? Oh, who knows? So, just to recap, you shouldn't have red blood cells, white blood cells, or platelets in your urine. Correct. Because the holes in the in that filtration membrane are too small. Correct. Now, can I just make a point? The, like we said, the basement membrane is the major layer to stop proteins because it's so electronegative. So, if you damage this collagen layer, the basement membrane, the basement membrane you're going to let proteins through. Okay. Right? And this can happen in certain nephritic diseases. So, certain, such as glomerulonephritis, okay. you can damage this basement membrane. This can happen with children. They can develop glomerulonephritis. And this often happens after like a streptococcal infection. And they create a number of antibodies. And these antibodies specifically destroy this, this basement membrane, this collagen layer, which allows proteins to get through into the urine. 
called what? When protein comes through in the pig. Proteinuria. Proteinuria. And what's the major protein that gets through? Albumin. Albumin. What's that called if that comes through in the urine? Albuminuria. Albuminuria. Yeah, that's right. So this is what they'll check if 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 children have uh, high protein in the urine, high albumin. It may be an indication that they've got this glomerulonephritis and they've mm. got some. Uh, I think most glomerulonephritis, if I'm not mistaken, is caused by immune um, issues. Especially well, especially with children. I think there's another one because if we go back to the um, in adults, collagen four. Yeah, collagen four. You know, remember in the floor, yep. um, there is antibodies sometimes that target collagen 4 only. Mm. And another place that it, co- collagen 4 is found is in the lung as well. Ah. So people can get destructed lung. In addition to kidney. Yeah, and that's called good pasture syndrome. Oh, okay. Mm. And th- now in adults, uh, apart from this antibody response, yep. it can this glomerulonephritis, this damage that can occur, can be due to drug reactions. Um, and pneumonia and mumps and so forth. A lot of the time it's asymptomatic um, and, but can be associated with edema, low urine volume, headaches, nausea, joint pain, so forth. So, you know, you'd use immunosuppressive drugs to sort of stop this. And to take the inflammation down. That's right, steroids, immunosuppressive drugs yeah. and so forth. Okay, what now, Matt? I think we're almost done but I just want to add two other clinical points to it. Yeah, Pre- Predominantly affecting the uh, glomerulus yeah. is probably the two most harmful chronic diseases to the kidneys. What, what, are they? what do you reckon that would be? Two most harmful chronic diseases to the kidneys. As in like um, you which mean chronic diseases yeah. um, most common in society yeah. will have the biggest impact in the Ah, well, it's got to be diabetes because diabetes has the biggest impact on pretty much everything in the body. So what does does diabetes do something for the kidneys? Diabetes is one and another one? Um, hypertension? Very good. Oh, yes. There's a reason why I lecture anatomy and physiology at university. Maybe so. <laughs> Maybe. So what kind of happens is when you have, well, at least with hypertension, yeah. you're forcing a lot of pressure into your body yeah or the arteries mm. but you also force a lot of pressure into the renal vessels yeah okay so there's a lot of force that's going in to those vessels going into the renal artery yeah um for you know the interlobars blah, blah blah so when particularly the interlobular artery which is kind of a, a resistant vessel to kind of help maintain the gfr as well it can become sclerotic sclerotic um, which is kind of scarring right and it can get certain deposits in it, and that causes its ability to maintain the flow. So it's myoregulation. The whole yeah. myogenic response is reduced because if it's scarred, how's it going to vasoreact? That's right. And therefore, it's going to cause a greater flow into the glomerulus. Oh. Okay, and then eventually it will impact and decrease the glomerular filtration rate. Okay. Whoa, whoa. You just said you get an increased flow into the glomerulus. Why would you get a decreased glomerular filtration rate? That's a good point. So you got a hypothesis on that? I do. Yes. Yeah. So initially, you have an increased glomerular filtration rate, mm. and it's pushing its way through, pushing its way through, mm. and it starts to cause more and more damage to the filtration membrane You're itself. Right. Which, when you damage some sort of tissue, yeah. then that tissue often becomes fibrotic. Which means it starts to form these con- connective tissue deposits, which is obviously going to reduce the filtration capacity of the filtration membrane. And I think also, so in the front end, you get high filtration, and then over time, the membrane becomes blocked up basically, and you get low filtration. Yeah, and I think also, so not only is the filtration decreased, but I think that the size of that filtration membrane changes, mm. and possibly even the charging changes. Yeah. And so then you start to get fractions of albumin through oh okay so what would you call that small bit small amounts of albumin into your urine petite albuminuria close micro <laughs> micro oh that makes sense so it's, so it's my French in me that's that's hypertension mm-hmm. so just to reiterate it's a very destructive disease on the kidney if it's not um, maintained Regulated and everything else too, yeah. basically. And then the other one is diabetics. 
diabetes mellitus. <laughs> <laughs> diabetes mellitus, sorry. So, diabetes mellitus probably has a similar um, starting point or maybe clinical point, starting point to hypertensive yeah. um, neuropathy. Yeah. Okay. So, it would probably cause changes and issues in the uh, arterial, e- the efferent, and causing um, flow changes mm. and lead can lead to microalbinuria. Yeah, and various nephropathies. Yeah, but the problem then which manifests into diabetes is you have this high level of sugar in your blood for long yeah. periods of time, which causes proteins to get sugar st- stuck to it. Mm. which is um, glycosylation, okay? Now, this could be evident in, say, your retina. So, certain blood vessels in your retina also can be um, sclerotic Mm. and become kind of thickened, and therefore the retina becomes uh, ischemic, so reduced blood flow. And I think the retina tries to counteract that by building more blood vessels to give oxygen to the retina because the retina is very oxygen-hungry, which then kind of pushes more blood vessels all over the retina and that can kind of um, over... What's the word? Perfuse? Not over perfuse, but kind of overrun the retina oh. and, and cause it to start to get blurred vision and so forth. Oh. So I think the treatment on that is laser kind of... So that's diabetic retinopathy. Yeah, that's the retina. So what so about diabetic nephropathy? nephropathy. So similar to that, so you get that kind of glycosylation in the blood vessels in the glomerulus. You get chronic inflammation, which, which leads to scarring. Which leads to scarring and then ischemia and then goes downhill from that. Wow. And then I think also it will affect those mesangial cells to regulate the blood flow. The yeah. mesangial cells will produce more extracellular matrix and so forth, which will affect the way that the um, GFR is regulated. So basically, when you look at glomerulonephritis, so some sort of inflammation there at the glomerular capsule, we spoke about acute glomerulonephritis being, you know, for children, often streptococcus, you get a all these antibodies produced which tend to damage the basement membrane. Um, You can also get acute glomerulonephritis. So again, this means short-term from drugs, mumps, pneumonia, so forth for adults. And then when we look at chronic glomerulonephritis, that's like you said, hypertension and diabetes mellitus tends to be on top of that list. Well, at least um, glomerular pathologies. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not really sure how what degree of inflammation it's occurring, but it's definitely changing the structure of the glomerulus per se, okay. ability to maintain GFR, yeah, and the basement membrane's ability to filter, and obviously if you change all those sizings of the holes and the charging, you're going to start to let things through that shouldn't normally be, yeah. like proteins. If you start letting through proteins, particularly at a high rate, it's going to cause quite dramatic effects elsewhere in the body, such as edema, such as edema, because you lose that osmotic. Pull. pull back into the blood vessels. So you at the tissues. Yeah, so yeah. a lot of tissues may start to, to get edema. Like so, yeah, so you get, so if you have, and I think it's also important to note that we said there's like 2 million nephrons in, in both kidneys, but we only really need 800 odd thousand to function properly. So you don't really start to notice these effects, the problems like glomerulonephritis and so forth until nearly 80% of your nephrons are, are gone or damaged. Well, that'd be, yeah, moving to end-stage renal failure. Yeah. So you might have chronic renal failure, which is kind of like this um, linear, you know... Slow build-up. Yeah, and it's, so it's got a whole degree of range. Yeah. But when you move right down to the 80 to 90%, you're moving into acute renal disease or failure. Yeah. And that's where, you know, you're not doing anything anymore. And so you're going to get all the detrimental effects of your kidneys not working like um, fluid overloads um, retaining all the toxic molecules and so edema. this is when patients really need to start going on dialysis oh yeah yeah so yeah. this is where a, a machine basically does what your glomeruli do and filters your blood for you yeah, yeah. well that and your and regulating all the what, what the rest of the nephron would do as well so which is a big job mm. so i think it's important that next next podcast or one of the one of the future podcasts we talk about the nephron yeah. and exactly how it reg how it goes how how it takes all this fluid the 120 mils a minute or 180 liters a day and goes all right what do i want to keep what do i want to throw back that's right that'll probably be the focus of n- the nephron i think yeah yeah sounds good so you happy with glomerular filtration a lot of stuff isn't it 
Yeah, it's a lot of stuff. For but one it's interesting. structure. I know. It's amazing. Mm. All right, Matt. You Thanks, have a mate. you have a wonderful rest of your day. And listeners, I didn't say it at the start, but I'm going to say it now. If you want to contact us, you want to ask us a question, send us an email, gubiosciences. Or correct us. We might have said some, some things. Yeah, Matt, Matt usually says things, intentionally lies. No. <laughs> <laughs> so if you, want to, if you want to correct us or ask questions, send an email, gubiosciences at gmail.com. If you want to maybe just follow us on uh, social media or ask us questions there, you can follow us on Instagram, gubiosciences, or lowercase, and on Twitter, at GU Biosciences. Not on Facebook yet, but we will be soon. Well, So contact us if you want to ask questions, suggest topics. We also have a YouTube channel where we've got like 200 videos of us doing like 15-minute segments on topics like this. So you don't have to listen to us bang on for an hour like you do with the podcast, but I recommend you keep doing it. But you can watch our YouTube channel. Uh, we do it for our students, but we also do it for everybody else. So you can access our YouTube channel. Just go to Biological Sciences and you'll see it come up. Or you can go to our website, which is biological sci, as in science, biologicalsci.org, and you can access our podcast and our YouTube channel from there. Apart from that, I'll see you soon. I'm going to use my podocytes and leave. (laughs) Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.